We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? Think what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to that might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. My parents been going in and out of jail so long, or my, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like my my life has in many instances been like so like stereotypically ghetto. You know what I'm saying? It's like shit. I speak to it, you know what I mean? And I just do it in a way where I usually don't tell people that, you know what I'm saying, about this in my life. You know what I mean? If it comes out, it comes out. But I feel like the reason I'm able to move how I move is because how I relate to people. And I think that I'm able to relate to everybody because like, man, my best friend that was the, the best man in my wedding, Nigga doing a 15-year sentence right now. Mm. I talked to him for the first time on the phone two days ago. And he in jail for some shit that I hate, embarrassed about. Like, and, you know what I'm saying? Like, damn, bro. But this, this nigga I grew up with. This my brother. You know what I'm saying? I'm 32. He, he about to turn 32 on February 18th. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this my brother. You feel me? But I, like, this why, man, this is my life, man. Like, shit. I mean, I mean grow up middle class. That's the reason why I had so much beef against middle class niggas. Because it was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Consciously is a TikTok and social media star. He is a super cool, hip, intellectual academic with three advanced degrees. But the brother has people in his life, his parents, who are dealing with serious issues. He talks about how his mom is right now on her way to doing six years in prison. So he's got real world problems that he's dealing with as his life and his career are blowing up. It's a fascinating conversation about what he thinks about black America and what's going on with his family. It's consciously straight from TikTok on Toray show. You know, when I first started getting into TikTok, it was like, you know, it's just a bunch of bunch of dancing kids on there. And when I got into it, but people were still like, you got it, you got to fuck with it, you got to fuck with it. And I started getting, I started to find, you know, really intellectual black creators. You weren't the first one I found, but that was like, yo, this is really deep knowledge that's going on over here that some people are dropping. And then when I found you, it was like, 
wow, the brother is constantly like educating and uplifting and inspiring me, thank you, thank you. you know, and, and clearly many others because you get awards and attention for what you do. So let's just talk about because I can tell everything you do is very intentional. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're using TikTok and Instagram as an extension of the classroom. So yeah. talk about what you want your social media project to be about and what you want to accomplish through that. You know, I ain't never said it this simply, but when I was 19 years old, I was sitting in an African-American women's class by the professor was uh, Lupe Davidson. And she was uh, teaching from this book about uh, hip hop feminism. It was When Chicken Heads Come Home and Roost by Joanne Morgan. Joanne Morgan. And Joanne had said something in this book. I believe it was this book. She said, I felt like a slave of a slave. In that moment, I felt like I'd never seen myself as an oppressor. I've only seen myself as the oppressed, as a black man. You feel me? Um, in that moment, I was forced to view myself in a different way that kind of made me scared, but I felt liberated. You feel me? I felt like I knew the most about myself in the world in that moment. And being real, I'm chasing that feeling. I want I want everybody, when they see my content, to have that same feeling I had when I was 19 years old at the University of Oklahoma sitting in an African-American women's class. And I was hit with so much conviction. But the conviction came with, like, freedom and liberation and let me know I had work to do. So you figured out that you have privilege as a man, you're saying, and that you had... You, you, the education of you led you to say I have to educate others? Yeah, yeah. Joanne Morgan had planted a seed. The first thing she had did really was show me that in order for me to be an academic, I ain't got to, you feel me, being, I don't have to engage in uh, respectability politics. I don't have to divorce myself in the language of my nurture. I can say what I mean, mean what I say. If I want to talk shit and cuss you out today, I'm going to talk shit and cuss you out today. If I want to smile and laugh and give you inspiration today, I'm going to give you inspiration today. Joanne Morgan, in that book, she was able to really illustrate to me that there was a way for me to be a nigga in an academic. You know what I'm saying? And it taught me in a way that made me feel like, man, I feel good right now. I'm learning and I want other people to feel I, w- I want I want to teach and I want to learn. And yeah. I feel like that's 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 the that's the burning passion that lead me to doing these videos, man. It's, it's Joan. You know, it's Joan, right? Joan. Joan. See, yeah. Joan. You know her. How come you didn't say that? It's Joan. But she's dope. She's dope. I'm sorry, Joan. Joan. I'm sorry, Joan. I owe you more respect. But listen, you you is the you. You the one. And, and being real, without Joan, there is no conscious leap. And without mm-hmm. Lupe Davidson that was in that class, without these two black women, there is no conscious leap. But I do. The thing you talk about is that I think that you you nail that in terms of being clearly intellectual PhD backed up by knowledge and understanding and yet still bringing it in a black way. And I think for a lot of, there was a time, I mean, we've seen, you know, black intellectuals for decades now, um, but you bring an extra flair to it. And, and when we can see that, it makes us feel really cool. It makes us feel good about being intellectual because we can be intellectual and cool. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much what it is, man. I I recognize that there was a purposeful intent to make it where people in the people in lower socioeconomic backgrounds that are heavily policed take on different demonization of intellect and critical thinking. You feel me? It's Mm -hmm. almost become not only uncool, but in some instances, make it where people want to negotiate your blackness based off of how much you care about reading, how much you care about theorizing the philosophy. And I'm just one of those people because I'm a first generation student. And I really like, man, like I I just got done doing a workshop at University of Rhode Island about the N-word. 
And something that I thought about in that is that I'm born and raised in Bryan, Texas, right? Before I knew I was black, I knew I was a nigga. Mm. And it's a lot to unpackage there. You see mm. what I'm saying? But I mm-hmm. think that it's something, it's something there. And I'm thinking about the ways in which, even though I was homecoming king and prom king and class president, a lot of my authorities and people that was over me always, always let me know, hey, 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 George, if you get that job, would you cut your hair? If you get this job right here, you got this opportunity, would you cut off this part of your culture or your blackness to prove your credibility or legitimacy? So what it's me, from the time I was young in 11th grade to the time now, it's always illustrated to me. For me to be able to prove my intellect or my success, I'm supposed to distance myself from black people and or make myself more closer to whiteness and white people. And it's something I'm always very critical of. I'm always thinking about. And I'm always recognizing how I'm implicated in it. You feel me? I ain't gonna cap. Like, I know I'm implicated in the ways in which I've been able to use my privilege, use my gift of gab to be able to get access, resource, and accessibility. And in some instances, I ain't do nothing. I just made a person feel some type of way. And they was like, oh, I like that Negro right there. Here you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the whole N-word discussion is very interesting to me because I feel like especially Black men can transmit a sense of love to each other through that word that no other word can quite when 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 a certain black man says my nigga and i'm like yo like right and we have a hard time expressing love to each other right yes and like when you and especially men who are older than me be like yo you my nigga and i'm like you, you know what i mean it's a hug I'm it's trying a to get like you i'm trying to get like you it'd be like a weird way in man yeah. So, I mean, so when people want to ban it, I'm like, yeah, but there's a deep avenue of love that comes through that word when we use it in our spaces. Yeah. To each other. Uh-huh. And, and, and that's what we got to with the word. Like, like me being in philosophy and theory opened up my life and opened up my mind to a whole nother world that I didn't really know existed. So for me, it's thinking about the complexity of different concepts. And I think the N word is a great, a great concept or a great issue to be able to illustrate how complexity works. You and I know that within inside, like inside the black community is ways that the nigga, the N-word can be gendered. It's ways that it can be, you feel me, uh, classed. It's ways it can be an adverb, a verb, an adjective. We can throw that word around and it takes on different lives. But we also recognize from a external standpoint, i.e. outside the outside the community, we know that that word has a different other, you know what I'm saying, whether you're talking about an A or an E-R. It got a different, you know what I'm saying, connotation, a different meaning to it. So I feel like the complexity of it allowed for me to just really education made it where I felt like I was alive. You know what I'm saying? And when I really learned that I got ADHD and I got diagnosed with ADHD, I figured out that my hyperfixation in education made it where I didn't have to worry about making the right answer. And I didn't have to worry about being defective. It was like, man, we all out here, you know? And that's mm. what I like. I'm starting to learn more about myself. I, I want to be not diagnosed for like a few months. You see what I'm saying? Mm. But now I'm going back and re like going back and thinking about things, you feel me? Reflecting on things and realizing that I think that my impulsivity, you see how this conversation is going. I apologize for cutting you off in education. It made it where it just, you know what I'm saying? Shit just. <laughs> Talk about, let, tell us some of the, some of the people and some of the books that are foundational to your intellectual approach. Um, some of the things that have, you know, just meant so much to developing who you are as an intellectual. Man, Huey P. Newton, The Pride mm. of the Panther, you see him back there? That, that book right there was foundational into my consciousness and foundational into me being able to like have a knowledge of self. 
when I read about how Huey P. Newton was empowering himself with, with, with law and with education and being able to mobilize other brothers in the hood in Oakland and made it where they were, I feel like, really taking control politically, socially, economically of their neighborhood and of their, uh, of their destinies, that really had, like, really turned on a, 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 a light in my head and really, like, lit a fire up under my ass, you feel me? And, and, and made it where I got... Almost why that right there was the starting point of me just diving deep into uh, the black radical tradition, reading about uh, first the civil rights movement and then going back and reading about, you know, the, the like the like the, the, the James Baldwin's and going back and like really going back and going through the archive. And that's really what, what I'm saying. What did it? And then policy debate in college. I was a policy debater. I was pretty damn good at it. I'm actually proud. I'm in. I'm ranked in the top 20 of the decade Hall of Fame. Me and my debate partner, we were ranked in the top top 20 Hall of Fame as a as as pair individual as, as as the pair team and as individuals. And uh, that's really what turned me on as a theorist, as a philosopher, as, as a philosopher, as a critical thinker, as somebody that was always willing to uh, learn about something to have not only the knowledge over it but also to try to win. And it just opened up my life. Uh, wait, there's a couple of things I want to dive into, but I, I heard. A podcast years ago that we've listened to maybe a hundred times because my son loves it, where they talk about um, black debating and they talk about the Louisville School of Debating, where, yeah, where you know, right, 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 no, where folks are like, I'm not talking about nuclear energy. I'm talking about what it means to be black because that's all that really matters. Yeah, um, they're my OGs. Yeah, and that and that was revolutionary. I mean, you could imagine that the de- white debaters are like, so now we're going to debate energy policy, pro and con, and you and Kwame walk in and like, no, all that matters is that, you know, we are not respected in this space as black people. And the white people are like, wait, wait, they're not talking about nuclear energy at all. Talk about that whole movement and how it affected you. Hey, the Louisville Project, it started in the early 2000s, and their whole mission was to increase meaningful black participation in policy debate. You know what I'm saying? Uh, shout out to Daryl Birch and, and Liz and Tanya and all, all them beautiful black people that really made it possible for me and my debate partner to become Hall of Fame debaters. We don't get to be Hall of Fame debaters and talking about what's going on in the hood and being able to use poetry and rap without what they did. What they did, was, uh, uh, I thought what they did, though, uh Going, going further and ex- explaining it is that at the time, policy debate was all about big structural impacts. Like, we don't give a damn about what's happening right now. We only care about the potential for a nuclear war, the potential for economic downturn, the potential for economic instability. You feel me? We only care about government on government action, and we only care about the language of policymakers, and we all should be policymakers. What the people at Louisville did was carve out a space and place for black people to say what they mean and mean what they say and also be able to speak that policy shit. You know what I'm saying? So when they doing rap and they talking about like racism, they provided me a framework to be able to have an impact calculus. How do you compare nuclear extinction and everybody dying to structural violence that happens to impacts just black people? The Louisville Project taught me how to be able to do it. And then really they had a three-tier methodology. And being real, I use this as a content creator. Right now, I'm getting into what we call it, supportable skills, and the Louisville Project had a three-tier methodology. In order for you to make a claim, you got to have an organic intellectual, an academic intellectual, and personal experience. I never thought about it this way, but that's pretty much how I do my content. I have an academic intellectual, I have an organic intellectual, and I have my personal experience that accompanies whatever I'm talking about, and that's how I'm able to make what I'm talking about relatable and how I'm able to give credence and legitimacy to what I'm saying. Louisville Project, they was able to take and I think that they were the first black people to make it to like the, 
octafinals of the NDT, the National Debate Tournament. So yeah, that was that was the world I was in, though. You feel me? Wait, talk more about that trio of notions of how you present ideas and how you bring that into your social content. Yeah, the 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 three tier methodology was really a way to test. I feel like truth claim and to be able to recognize the legitimacy and credibility a debater had to be able to speak over something. So if I'm going to talk about like fat phobia, I'm going to give a academic, you know what I'm saying, uh, 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 intellectual, you know, I'm going to read some shit, you know, I'm going to put that green screen out. I'm going to read the definition of it or this, that, the other. That's my, that's my academic intellectual. I'm also going to find an organic intellectual or uh, like either, either whether I'm using Lizzo's words, the way she talks about fat phobia, or I'm using one of my other content creator friends that talks about fat phobia. That's my organic intellectual. I'm not going to talk about it in terms of my experience as a skinny cisgender black man and how I'm implicated in fat phobia and also how I think that I can be resistant to fat phobia. Now I've given you a complete, you feel me, persp- uh, uh, analysis of how something works. And now I have a better way. I feel like I'm debating you with it and debate. It'd be like framework and it just be like, hey, right now, framework is like, we're going to debate about what this debate should be about. That's how, you know what I'm saying? That's how we do, you know what I'm saying? In many instances, when I was debating, we were debating about debate. We were debating about what's important, what's not important, how we should evaluate, what we shouldn't evaluate, what tools we should use to evaluate and measure, what theories we should, that's what we was debating about. You feel me? So it made it where the three-tier methodology and make it where, you know, it's a whole bunch of fast-talking people on the internet. It's a whole bunch of pro-black folks on the internet. It's a whole bunch of educators on the internet. What makes Consciously, Consciously, I believe I'm able to take a culmination of a lot of different things and put them together, consciously and unconsciously, and be able to present it. And I think that's what makes me unique in terms of the debate, portable skills, having this big personality, and then doing it. When I debated, I did it how Louisville did it. I used Lil Boosie, Tupac, J. Cole, Big Crit. This is like 2011, 2010, 2012, 13, you feel me? Shit, this is what I'm using. I'm, I'm busting ass, though, you feel me? My, my last debate argument that I, want, that, that I made it to... The finals of the CETA in the in the semifinals of the NDT was war power should not be used against niggas. And I was spitting big crit in my first constructive speech. War power should not be used against black people. In America, you mean like Nah, I was nah. We was we was we was using, I'm not listening. We made it the argument. We was using Dr. Ronald Judy, a professor from Pittsburgh. He had this journal called the The Question of Nigger Authenticity. Where in this, he's going and talking about the multiplicity of blackness and black people where he's making a lot of rigid claims about Negroes, niggers, niggers, black people and African-Americans. But he's doing it in an academic way about production and about commodification and about the ways in which black people are seen as being productive or unproductive. And that's how they're positioned. You see what I'm saying? So when we're talking about war powers not being used against niggas, we thinking about the most stereotypical, exposable, disposable person you could think of from New York, Atlanta, Houston, Oakland. We're talking about the two thirds of the black community that was not mobilized by the civil rights movement. We're talking about the black people that is always already policed by respectability politics that say, hey, if you didn't cuss, if you just pulled your pants up, maybe they have some respect for you. We was talking about no war powers against niggas like them. You see what I'm saying? We were making hard arguments with other black people about the ways in which respectability politics and classism operate within the black community. You see what I'm saying? So it's like recognizing in the black community, people be niggified. You see what I'm saying? And once you're niggified, there's a different way or paradigm how you're judged, how you're valued, how you're measured. When we go back to the plantation, the good nigger and the bad nigger was always a question of production. Well, I, and the baby was asking, productive for who? 
we recognize that when it comes to like these niggas, the Black Panther Party, they were seen as not only being unproductive, but counterproductive to the entire mission of America, i.e. J. Edgar Hoover saying them niggas over there is the biggest threat to domestic security. We're recognizing that what they were doing, they were giving free breakfast. They recognize, you see what I'm saying? But it was counterintuitive to the empire of America or the plantation. So they were seen as bad niggas and they got killed and demonized. We also recognize, you feel me, that the uh, Booker T. Washington, he was the one that made the capital, the Negro, lowercase n, to be in capital. Dr. 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 Judy talks about that this is how we see how niggas traffic in affect or traffic in value and how it's not a question of what it means to be a real nigga, but what a nigga can be and what it means to be human. And that's what that's what the the the, the, the thing was getting at. But it was like literally the, 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 to end this rant, the college policy debate topic that year was the United States federal government shall prohibit. No, no. The United States federal government yeah, shall prohibit presidential war powers of targeted killing, indefinite detention, and introducing hostility, uh, introducing arms into hostilities and cyber attacks. This was 2014. This was my debate topic. The entire year, we talking about niggas in definite detention, niggas, in, you know what I'm saying, getting impacted by uh, cyber cybersecurity forces, niggas being impacted by indefinite detention, and uh, literally it was five topic areas. And we we were so badass, we say, hey, you pick. You pick where war power should happen to a nigga, we'll defend it. As a matter of fact, we say no war power should be used against niggas. And you know how we ended up losing? We lost, we lost in the we lost in the semifinals to Georgetown. I was using this killer Mike verse, the uh kill the, the, the Reagan. I was using a killer Mike verse. You know what I'm saying? In in this verse, Killer Mike makes a reference to uh to uh to uh Muammar Gaddafi. And it went over my head a little bit what the team was going on, but they pretty much was like, hey. Is Muammar Gaddafi a nigga? And I was like, shit, I don't know. I ain't, da, 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 da. They basically made the argument that said, well, you say no war powers against niggas. Well, we believe that if you say that Muammar Gaddafi is a nigga, that nigga should have been killed. We should have did war powers on them. And we lost. We lost on a 3-2 decision. If we would have won that debate, I would have went to the NDT and probably would have been a national debate champion. But yeah. He's <laughs> still all up in the mix. <laughs> like Christian Lehner, man. If I made that shot, man, we would have gone to the final four, man. The fuck, man. I swear to God, I feel like that. I'd be like, man, if I would have just answered this argument a little better in the one A, I got two, like back to back. I could have won a national championship in Cedar, the People's Championship, and I could have won a championship in like the traditional, like almost I could have won a March Madness championship and an NIT championship in the same year. But did you say in in that speech, which was great? that black people niggify other black people. So yes, what, do you, what, 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 what do you mean by that? How does that happen? What are you, what are you referring to? Uh, I'm referring to the way that we are, the way that we are incentivized to engage in identity politics or respectability politics and how when we create social norms within our community and a person goes against those social norms, they have been niggified. If I talk about uh, Waka Flocka, and recognize the way in which black people or even black men want to put off our aesthetics and how we want to be represented. Most black people, you feel me, black men would say the way that Waka Flocka, especially when he was going hard in the paint, what you motherfucking think, that Waka Flocka, we recognize that the way in which he was exuding, expressing his manhood and his black masculinity is not one that is respectable or not one that is seen as being legitimate where you can get resources and accessibility. So for me, I'm thinking about the ways in which I'm a millennial, the way in which my uncles and people older than them would talk about respectability politics, like saying, hey, I only see my people or I, I tend to see my people through the lens of white people. 
So if white folks say it's unrespectable, then nigga, you're unrespectable. If white folks say it's under the standard, then you under the standard. If what you are doing, regardless of how productive it is for black people, makes white folks feel uncomfortable, it's not for us. You feel me? If you make white people feel like that's not for us. And think about the ways in which we police ourselves in notion of striving for white comfort and recognizing white comfort in many instances, we have to do that for survivability. I'm a Southerner. I'm, I'm talking to you right now from Houston, Texas. So I'm recognizing that a lot of respectability politics is for survival. I'm not trying to be called people Uncle Tom's or I ain't doing, I never use the terminology being real, but I want to be clear in terms of what I'm trying to say and what I'm not trying to say. And when I'm recognizing in terms of black people being niggified, it's recognizing how that is very uh, uh, nebulous. You know what I'm saying? Like you, like you and I know, Regardless of how proper you speak, regardless of how proper you dress, you know you can be called a nigga like I can be called a nigga. You know you can face racial violence. I can face racial violence. The nigga fine, the concept of nigga fine, we recognize that it can be positioned onto anybody in so far how they choose. And they being the world. Like we know that it's niggas being lynched three-piece suits. Military suits. There are Uncle Tom's, though. Yes, there are Uncle Tom's, but I'm just saying that that, that in this analysis, I'm doing it. See, you I don't, don't use that terminology. I like to say, like, you are you you a white supremacist sympathizer. You are anti-black mm. apologist. Mm. You feel me? You mm. you both. Because to me, I'm a debater, and I recognize that me being a debater and a debate coach, that when I'm talking to you, if you have, if I use a term or a word that you can associate something with, I don't get to dictate what I mean by that. So if I say Uncle Tom and I'm talking to somebody else, now they want to debate me about who Uncle Tom really was. And it's like, motherfucker, you know exactly what I'm trying to say. So instead of me going through that with you, I'm going to say you being a white supremacist sympathizer. You have to ask me what I mean by that now. I get to control the framing and the narrative of what I'm trying to say. You feel me? I was blessed to be able to say what I want to say, and I hate having to spend time on what I'm not trying to say. That, that's so a really you know. interesting point for writers and anybody trying to get a point across, that if I use a phrase or a term that has a history. Now I have to, I have to interact and own up with that history. And like we see all the time, people are like, well, originally Uncle Tom was a white man, so now we blah, 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 blah. But- I don't have but, time for that. But you <laughs> use a more precise, almost scientific term. You are a white supremacist sympathizer. Like when I talk about Candace Owens, I'm like, she's a soldier for white supremacy. Now, you're not right. going to come back and talk about the origin of the term Uncle Tom or whatever. Like, she's, it's almost scientific. She's a soldier for white supremacy, right? Yeah. Like, so, so you are doing the same thing and, and, and you are using more precise language that doesn't bring in the history, which somebody else could use to get us off track. Definitely. I don't, want, I don't want you to get caught up on any distractions. And I know that in debate, what I learned is not what you say, it's what can be justified by your words. So mm. if I use the terminology of Uncle Tom and I'm talking about being pro-black, one can on a surface level be like, well, you only care about black people you agree with. For me, it's like, man, I'm born and raised in Texas. I grew up around conservative niggas. Get out, get out of here with that. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to give you any links to make these surface level arguments about equality or about fairness. Now I'm talking about sympathizing for white supremacy. And I'm saying that can apply to, I don't give a damn what color you is. If you're sympathizing for white supremacy, meaning you're being a sympathizer of this system, then there's something wrong with you. Now you can't pay me now. Now it's like, all oh, black people say that they want to be treated how they, like, nah, you can't pay me like that. I don't want to hear none of that gaslighting. You feel me? If I say you an anti-black apologist, you can ask me what I mean by that. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by an apologist. I'm going to explain and define what anti-blackness is. 
And now you have to respond to me and what I said and not what the nigga said last week about, about Uncle Tom's. I don't I don't want to have to defend the horrible argument you've seen on YouTube about Uncle Tom's. I don't want to have to defend the horrible argument about Uncle Tom's you've seen on Twitter. If you want to come at consciously, the come at me the arguments I made. You see what I'm saying? And that's how that's the reason why I try to be very intentional with my language sure. and recognize that the way that debate used to work is like you said you said a buzzword. I'm finna go off now. You ain't even hear what I actually said. You just went off on a buzzword. How white folks do woke. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick. Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. What is your bigger ideas on how we can help ourselves get closer to liberation? What do we need? What do we need to do? And what do we need to demand from them? I think that the first thing we have to do is uh, develop a knowledge of self, like figure out, like, like really understand like who we are, like, and, and two, like, and, like who we are collectively and who we are individually. I think that a lot of the times when we have uh, uh, tension and have, you know, discrepancies on strategies or definitions, it's, it has to do with the how a lot of us don't really know who we are. I know this quote is a fake quote, but I still think it has. Uh, I think I, I know it's a fake quote, but I think it has power still. When they asked Harriet Tubman if she could have did anything, what she would have did. And it's like if I could have convinced more people with sla- uh, more people that were slaves, I would have been able to free more people. In my mind, that quote, though, I recognize the quote that has been 
you know, uh, 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 debated about whether she actually said it or not. I still think it has a meaning to it and recognizing that sometimes we don't know that we're oppressed. We don't know that this, that, and the other. We have to have that knowledge. You see what I'm saying? And when I say knowledge, stuff, that's what I mean. When I went to college at the University of Oklahoma, a lot of me being born and raised, you know what? I didn't know that Fox News was a conservative, right-weaning news station until I was like 19 years old, bro. Think about that. What did you think? I was, it was? 19, 20 years. I thought that Fox News was a universal, all truth telling news station that had nothing to do with politics. Hmm. I did not think that Fox News was an entertainment that was only for conservatives. I almost think about it like this a fish don't know they in water because they in water type shit. You see what I'm saying? Until they out of it. You know what I mean? It's really how I think like Niles itself and then really Huey P. Newton. Power is the ability to define the phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. I believe that if black people have the power to define the phenomenons around us, it would make it better for us to make it act in a desired manner. The question you asked me was about liberation. I think that if we can define the phenomenons around liberation, whether it's a trial or tribulation or something that can make us be empowered or inspired for liberation, we can define those phenomenons. I think we can have power over them and then make them act in a desired manner. And I think that's a quote that I live my life by. I think... Obviously, what you're talking about is incredibly important. What I think about is attacking the racial wealth gap, right? And whether or not they like us, we can begin to break down some of the power of white privilege if we have more money in our community and we can deploy it the way that we want to. Schools, whatever, training, whatever, new companies, whatever. And so as long as we are trailing massively in the amount of wealth in our mm-hmm. community, then we'll forever be uh, at their mercy in many ways. I agree. I think that when I say uh, the power is the ability to define the phenomenon, I'm recognizing that a part of liberation is economic power and economic accessibility. But being able to define the reasons of how and why we haven't been able to do it. Things like cultural appropriation, exploitation, extortion, thinking about the ways that, you know, we have different industries that have been able to uniquely extract value from the black community while also simultaneously encouraging that same labor that they extract them from to not go back to the black community. Hey, Tor, Tor. Hi, hi, Torre? Yes, yes. Oh, I told my wife she was trying to argue. I'm like, oh, like, yeah. But to, it's like literally being like, hey, once you make it to the, once you on BET, you can't go back to the other people. Once you make it to MSBC, the people that you love, people that you around, you can't be around them no more. So thinking about economically how we're incentivized to distance ourselves from our community while simultaneously getting ourselves closer. So I think about economics like, hey, even thinking right now, nigga made some bread. After talking about white supremacy and anti-blackness, and my dumb ass turned around and bought a Louis Vuitton belt. So now I'm thinking like, man, what, what, what made it that I want to spend this hard-earned money on this European designer right here? And I know what it is. I know how, like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm really starting to get, get back into being like, hey, when I use anti-black apologists, white supremacist sympathizer, or even when you use a notion of being a sellout. For me, for capitalism, I acknowledge that all of us are sellouts from a different point. The question is, what are you willing to give up? <laughs> mm. <laughs> you willing to give up? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And for me, it's like, would you? To me, talking, me talking about capitalism, and I think that we have to have a way to define the phenomenon of capitalism to make it act in a desired manner, even neoliberalism, and recognizing that I'm kind of engaging in this shit. But yeah, it's interesting you point out your own purchase of LV or or whatever yeah. other brand because. I mean, LV in particular, 
does have a resonance in the black community, right? And like recent LV family, like, well, that was Virgil, right? They, recent, right? right? Recent, recently. recently. But I mean, even like, I mean, I feel like I remember um, interviewing Nas like 15 years ago. He had this beautiful LV belt. I was like, yo, I need to go cop that belt. Why are you, why are you buying a belt? From not like because the shit is beautiful and black people recognize those symbols. We recognize Gucci. We recognize Tommy Hilfiger. There's certain brands we really care about, Thanks. right? So, our, so it, it's complicated. We are in conversation with white capitalism, but we're also in conversation with you. When you wear that Louis Vuitton belt in the hood, niggas recognize. It, oh, it's oh, it good. What's good, bro, man? I see you, bro. You dripping, duh, 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 duh. Yeah. but it's still like, hey. So, 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 even if I want to be in the high fashion, and we still have a capitalist critique, it's like, how come I didn't try to go find, seek out that African or the African American designer? And thinking about how there is inherent value, that Louis Vuitton bag right here, mm-hmm. it's inherent value in its L's and the B's and its colors. You know what I'm saying? But recognizing how come I don't see that inherent value in when it's produced by black people, or how come I got to wait for some white folks to see value in some shit that niggas made for me to see the value in it? I see how I'm implicated in it. So for me, when I make stuff and do stuff, I try to be vulnerable enough where I'm not and rethinking about, okay, you've presented an analysis. How are you implicated in that analysis? Don't make it all about everybody else. It's easy to talk shit to you and talk shit to y'all. and over. It's easy. It's harder to talk shit to myself and or recognize how I'm implicated in the shit I say I'm against. So well, for me, it's why I like doing that. Well, what is it? What is something that you are working on in yourself in this regard that you're critiquing in yourself and you're working to improve right now i'm working on my desire the word i learned is epistemology mm. you feel me epistemology mm. how do you know what you know and why do you know what you know i've been doing a lot of reflecting and really asking myself why do i value what i value and how did i come to value it that way and really been asking myself about my my my, my deeper uh, motivations you know what i'm saying the more notoriety I get, the more followers I get, the more acknowledgement I get, I, igno- I have to ask myself, all right, George, at one point in time, though, do you have to really, really think about the purpose and the popularity and how these things collide together and how these things sometimes not conducive? Many instances, what I want to do with purpose is not going to help the popularity. And many times what I want to do for popularity is not helping the purpose. So I think the bigger I get, the more followers I get. That's what, it really, what I'm thinking about internally, thinking about. What's the mission? And recognize and have to almost remind myself. I see it's easy to get lost in followers and views. It's easy to get lost in nominations. It's easy. You see what I'm saying? And for me, it's like, hey, I have an African and African-American studies major. That's what I, that's what I did in college. You know what I'm saying? I see how the machine eat up niggas. Revolutionary when you were 25. You're 35 now. You living good. You eating caviar and shrimp and shit. It is what it is. You're a bootstrapper now. You know what I'm saying? So it's just really me. I just always try to be grounded and really, 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 really learn. I'm 32 now. I learned I got ADHD. I'm married with two kids. Shit, I'm looking, I'm trying to be the best husband, the best father, the best intellectual I can be. And I know I can't be that be like that without being real with myself. If you if if you had pressed me, I would have said 25. Just got <laughs> out of just got out of his graduate program. I'm 32, man. Two kids. What? Two How kids. Old are kids? I've been married for I've been married for eight years in June. Wow, good for you. How, how old are your kids? Six and seven. Six and five. Five and six. Five and right. six. I'm gonna say seven. Ooh, don't, 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 don't do don't do it like that. She's five and six. I have a daughter and a son. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, 
you know, everybody comes on the show, I ask them, what does blackness mean to you? And, you know, everybody gives different answers. I think it shows up in different people in different ways. I know what it means to me, but like, what does blackness mean to you? I feel like if you put me in my philosophical mind, sometimes I'm going to answer this philosophically. I would simply define blackness as the infinite possibility of something else. Uh, What do you mean of something else? What do you mean something else? Of of something else being like uh, the infinite possibility of something else being like just just like you know when I use the word gratuitous, it's like uncontinuous, unwarranted. It's like unwarranted things. Blackness is the expression of something else. And I'm thinking like anti-blackness is the opposition to the expression. So for me, it's like black people by presence, we are the literal, the, the literal, literal existence of something else. And I feel like the world is trying to kind of like stop that being opposition to it. And to me, the something else is like whatever you want to define, whatever you want to be being able to define journey or define what is, it's like blackness is what is the infinite possibility of what can be. And anti-blackness to me is the opposition that's always trying to put it in a monolith or trying to define it very rigidly. And I think that is the, like what I learned in Afro-pessimism, like the grammars of suffering. To me, that is how black people, how we, how, how, how we have these unspoken grammars of suffering. I can't put into words the way that black people experience violence, but I recognize that it's something complex that's uh, enough for when we try to make blackness intelligible, i.e. define blackness, make it, you know, a uh, 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 digestible, make it intelligible, make it easily written, make it easily writing. That is, in many instances, cause anti-black violence. So it's like recognizing that the nebulous of blackness is just the infinite possibility of things, and saying that that possibility is always the world is always in opposition to it. Mm. You remind me of um, being in college, and the C- I went to Emory, and the CIA came to. I guess recruit, they didn't necessarily use that word, but it was clear, like, if you want to get a job at the CIA, like, you know, you go talk to them. And part of me was like, yo, that would be really cool to, like, work at the CIA, right? Yeah. And, like, kind of be in the inside and know everything. But at the same time, I was like, I I am almost tangibly connected to all the ancestors in my family, in our community. And mm-hmm. you think about all the people who fought and died and broke barriers so that I could be just another college student. It's not revolutionary. I didn't have to go through a picket line. Yeah. I just showed up with a check and they let me start taking classes. I enrolled and let me in. Right? <laughs> and I have to pay them something. Right. And I'm like, yo, if I was white and I didn't feel like I had to pay back all the people who could get me here, then like I could go like join the CIA and perhaps yeah, make my money. Black, and perhaps a black person would be valuable to black people in the CIA. But I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it yeah. like, yo, I got to find something else that allows me to be of value to the tribe that has lifted me up to this point. Um, yeah. And and that's part of how blackness has been almost like. The, the 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 wind beneath me or at least telling me like no you got to go higher than that because yeah. there's people and even like when I first started being on CNN because I'm I can be funny but like I was like I don't want to be funny ever 
right? Like you make a yeah. joke accidentally, like whatever, but I never want to purposely be a comedian. Yeah. funny because I'm not your comedian, right? I'm here yeah. because you saw, you expect that, right? And I want to be helping black people. And, and, you know, part of the amazing joy is when I see older black people and they're like, you made us look good. And I'm like, oh, yes. Like your uncle, no your aunt, like you made us look good. Oh my God, that's the best. Yes, 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 yes. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, especially when it's a stranger, when it's an older black person that you don't know from a can of paint. They'd be like, I'm proud of you. You you doing your thing or I'm, you make me so proud. And it's like, uh. I know when I was in Atlanta, last time I was in Atlanta, I was at a, a YouTube conference, man. And they was asking, what you here for? I'm like, yeah, I do this YouTube thing, this, that, and the other. And these people was like, man, you know, and I think that, that that's something, man, being real with you. I'm a country boy from Bryan, Texas. So when you first follow me, I'm thinking like, <laughs> this is the nigga from BET I grew up watching, man. Ah, feel me? So much, I brag. I called my homeboy like, hey, you remember the uh, the, uh, the smart nigga that used to be on BET? <laughs> yeah, the light-skinned nigga. His name was Torrey, Torrey. I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know you know what I'm talking about, right? I swear to God, they like, what? Hey, literally, no lie. I got a cousin doing life. Oh wow! He called me yesterday. I talked to him yesterday on the phone. I'm telling him, man, I got I got nominated for the NAACP, and I'm gonna be doing this thing tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? With remember him? He like, no, nah, cause I literally explained him like that. He knew exactly what I was talking about. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's like a full like I ain't gonna say a full circle. I ain't been here, but it's like, hey, it means a lot to me. I grew up watching you as like the black intellectual. You feel me? Like you was my black intellectual for me to be able to be like, man, it's a way. For a nigga to be a nigga and not be like the white folks over there, and for me mm-hmm. to still have a genuine relationship with my community, where they respect my intellect and my perspective. You know, all black intellects don't have that. You know what I'm saying? And thinking about it at the time you were on BET, that's when it was like it was it was it was integral to the community. You feel me? Mm-hmm, 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 we mm-hmm. watching it every watching it religiously. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it was just really like me now, even looking at you right now. I'm gonna get back off of this, and I, when I get off of this, I'm gonna really be like, yeah, I kind of believe this shit. You feel me? Like, it's funny, you know, saying, man. I, I never, I definitely grew up looking at Cornell West and Michael Eric Dyson in particular. And probably a couple other people whose names are coming right now, but they were two of the big stars who were like, here's how to be intellectual and still keep it funky. Right. And Greg Tate was in that mix as well, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. you know, I, uh, I need that. that thing too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I bet. No, no, that's cool. I'm saying I just, I, I needed that. And they, they gave me the, the blueprint. And I remember going as the first time I saw Cornell was like, Yo, he is black as hell and he is brilliant as hell, and that was cool as fuck. And, and, and how you feel about them is how I felt about you. Like literally, it was like, okay, I don't, I don't have to cut off parts of myself that I'm very proud of for me to fit into the box. There's a way for me to make the box fit the mold of me and not me fit the mold of the box. And I felt like you don't really recognize how. How, how much you inspiring and empowering people until you get to really see them in their face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, feel like I want to take this opportunity to tell you in your face, like, hey, I appreciate you. I appreciate that. It, it, part of what you're talking about, too, is breaking down white centrism. And I remember being 17, 18, probably 17, junior year in high school, and really being aware of it inside myself and confronting it. And some of the older black boys who were very politically aggressive were models of like, oh, they're 
different. They are much more black centric than you are. And I was never an Oreo, but, but I yeah. think that internalized racism had me of being more white centric than I realized yeah. and, and started to be able to come out of that at the end of high school and going into college. So when does that happen for you? For me, I think that I'm always put in a very peculiar position because of I, I've always been in my mind like the, the Ralph Ellison magical Negro. I've always been positioned mm. as the magical Negro in a way that I can be the exception to the rule. Uh, you can look at me and tell I'm rough around the edges. You can look at me and tell I've come from some things. So when I start to conduct myself, there is a a, a, a magical ambiance to me that make it where uh, white people and white structures view me as literally a, a, a magical Negro. You can literally like academically a magical Negro. So I'm thinking about it the ways how I've always been kind of seen as a unicorn where I get to play with whiteness and being white centric in a way. But I'm always reminded that I'm not. So for me, it became obvious to me when I was in like the 11th grade and I started to realize how. When I went to my AP honors classes, how the administration treated me compared to how they treated my homeboys. They got the same mm. bus with well, the same thing. But they wasn't going to the AP classes. And I started to see that I had privilege. And that's what I mean by like privilege. It's like shit. In many instances, I'm just charming and, and, and charismatic and it make white people feel comfortable. That was almost a skill that I was blessed with very early that allowed for me to get access, opportunity and resources that my other black counterparts could not get because I had a different, I, I would say like, charisma, charm, and ways of making white people feel comfortable uniquely. And for me, it's like, shit, when that call came to full flesh, when I got into college, when I got into college, I had a beef against middle-class black people. You know what I'm saying? I laugh at it now, but I had a beef. I had a beef because it was like, man, whew, I had a beef. I had a big beef. Resentment, what was, resentment, what was resentment. the beef? You thought they weren't really, really black? Nah, it was, it was, it was that I thought that the way that they policed and tone policed other black people was one that perpetuated whiteness and that pushed like people like, like parasiticness, anti-blackness. So it was like, Hey George, you came from the hood, your this, that, and the other, and this, that, and the other. Well, if you came to the hood, how come they can't come from the hood? It really, it really comes from Lupe Davidson's class, African-American women. She was teaching us about eugenics and learning about eugenics triggered a lot of different individuals into really perpetuating eugenics. Well, I get that how that's wrong, but if you poor and you got three kids, why it makes sense for you to have a fourth one? Mm. But yeah, well, you probably should. Man, my mama got four, four kids, three baby daddies. The niggas I'm around in school owe you? At this time, it's like 2012, 2013, so the concept of being a go-getter is one that's being thrown around. Go-getter, y'all be a go-getter. It's basically bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. My beef with middle class black people in this academic setting was that they was bootstrappers and that they was always already trying to authenticity test black people based off of W.E.B. Du Bois Tyson Tenth bullshit. And I went with it. You feel me? It literally would make it where in order for me to be seen as a good student, I had to not dress like a nigga from the hood, not spike a nigga from the hood. And it was like, y'all, y'all, I, I ain't like it. And it was literally like you are pushing eugenics. You believe that because I can come from the hood, that means that everybody from the hood should be able to come to the University of Oklahoma. You are dumb. That's not how accessibility works. That's not how that's not how you you are using a tokenized example and you're using that tokenized example to universalize it. That's not how reality works. And mm. you're using it in a way where you get to weaponize my success against the rest of my community. That's that's wild. 
know what I'm saying? I just go off. It's just like, mm-hmm. think about it now. But now I can see that there's a multiplicity in blackness and black people, and we all get lost in the sauce of white supremacy. May it be race, may it be gender, may it be class, may it be ability or sexuality. And at that time, I was coming to grips with how class and respectability politics uniquely causes fissures in the black community. And I realized then about why I was taught that Malcolm X was a bad nigga and taught that Martin Luther King was a good nigga. I was taught it through a paradigm of respectability politics from a Southern-centric idea that say, hey, this is the acceptable way, this is the unacceptable way. And I recognized that I was Malcolm X at the the expense of these niggas being Martin Luther King too much in college. So it made it where I was going off, just mad. You feel me? Like, you mother, you, you, and then seeing how it happened, man. You you go be a part of Divine Nine, you start to orient yourself. And that's how I felt then. Now, no disrespect to Divine Nine now. You know what I'm saying? I want none of y'all niggas coming at me. You know what I mean? But then it's like, hey, listen, a lot of them. You make this about community outreach. You orient yourself towards the community as charity. You literally write in charity. I'm going to argue that you defining who you helping as being charity, it already creates a superiority complex. You can't liberate someone if you're giving them charity. You are, in order for you to keep on giving charity, they got to stay in that position or you're not giving them charity then. So it's literally made it where there was a lot of different things that I was just being very critical about in terms of divine nine and how they would use it. Yo, yo, mama and daddy was an AKA and in the in, in, in alpha. My mom and my daddy was crips and drug dealers. So it really made it where we come from different places and it made it where it was just a lot of beef, a lot of beef. Even when we had issues on campus, I want to respond to racism this way. They want to respond to racism this way. And I, you know what I'm saying? I feel like in grad school, I, I learned about the leadership differences between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and really recognized how, how we brought up and the experiences that we have of racism a lot of times shapes how we define racism and shapes how we want to resist it. And I recognize that because my mom and my dad was in jail you feel me? Both my parents was locked up when I was in college. You know what I'm saying? Both of them, I'm sitting them like both of them in jail. You feel me? My mama right now about to go to jail. You know what I'm saying? About to do six years. You feel me? Like right wow. now. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, nigga. So it's wow. like, this is my life. This is what I've been going through my whole life. How do you feel about that? I'm going therapy about it. I think that uh it's it's been, I think that I've tricked myself in many different instances to to just accept it. Like two plus two is four, dogs bark, and my mom and my daddy like this. Now I've begun, I've, 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 I realize how much it impact how I love my wife and how I care for my kids. So I'm being more open about it. You know what I'm saying? But I'm dealing with it. But being real, I'm dealing with it. I'm 32 years old and shit. Mom looking at some jail time. I'm going to be on the run. But it's been my life, though. I'm being real with you. Like, I ain't looking for no pity or nothing like that. But it's my life. The reason why I speak with so much passion and conviction because the shit I've been through. You Wait, know what I'm saying? You've been locked up? I ain't. I've, I've been, I've, I've been in jail one time. And I was in county for like a few few hours. So I went county as being jailed. I was able to beat my case. You know what I'm saying? But my family members, I, my my whole my whole reality is shaped by the prison industrial complex. In, in in what way? As in when I first when I first came out the womb, my dad was already going in and out of jail. My life, I'm 32 years old. I can think about every one of my relationships, like like familiar relationships, how they've been impacted by incarceration or how they're to this day impacted by incarceration. When I was a freshman in, in, in college, my dad got busted. You feel me? And shit, he was the one that was the bank provider how I was going to school. Whatever my scholarship didn't cover, shit, he covered. You know what I'm saying? When he got busted at the time, Oklahoma, the, the state I'm in, supposed to be one of the strictest states in the, in the country. It's from marijuana. A white boy get busted with more cash and more, more money than my dad did and he was in Texas. His white boy had nothing happen to him, really. You feel me? My dad got a 15-year police sentence. You feel me? I'm seeing both sides. My daddy a drug dealer. My mama a drug addict. 
You know what I'm saying? So it's like shit. I'm this this what I'm this what I'm gonna see. My daddy now on parole, doing good. You feel me? Got his own trucking business and doing his thing. My mama still, you know what I'm saying? Shit, trying to fight. You know what I'm saying? Shit, trying to get together. But it's like you know what I mean. The, the reason why I am the way I am is because of what I've experienced and what I continue to experience, and I've been just blessed with the ability to take on theory and academia and philosophy to be able to express myself and to be able to connect to other people. But like, I, you know what I'm saying? This is this, this we living life out here, man. Shit. Like we out here, bro. Like we, like there's like this, it's a lot of people that depend on me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, materially and symbolically. And it's just like, this, this how I've been living my life, man. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it, and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tenderfoot tv campside media and iheart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, you remind me of how in a lot of ways black people feel like life happens to us, right? And like the tide keeps rolling in and affecting us. What You know, I just lost my job. Well, I got stopped by the police on the way to work. That made me late. So I lost my job. So now I'm back at the welfare and I had to do a little thing to make sure I had, you know, enough money for yeah, the baby. Man. Then I got arrested. Yeah. And it's like, God damn. But you don't like, see it. That, that. You just see it like, man, shit happens. I got to deal with it. It's really how you see it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like for me, my my parents been going in and out of jail so long. Or my, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like my my life has in many instances been like so like stereotypically ghetto. You know what I'm saying? It's like shit. I speak to it, you know what I mean? And I just do it in a way where I usually don't tell people that, you know what I'm saying, about this in my life. You know what I mean? If it comes out, it comes out. But I feel like the reason I'm able to move how I move is because how I relate to people. And I think that I'm able to relate to everybody because, like, man, my best friend that was the, the best man in my wedding, nigga doing a 15-year sentence right now. Mm. I talked to him for the first time on the phone two days ago. And he in jail for some shit that I hate embarrassed about like and you know what i'm saying like damn bro but this this nigga i grew up with this my brother you know what i'm saying i'm 32 he, he about to turn 32 on february 18th you know what i'm saying it's like this my brother you feel me but I, like this why man it's, it's my life man like shit i, I mean, mean grow up middle class that's the reason why i had so much beef against middle class niggas because it was like you don't know what you're talking about have you released uh-huh. some of the, have you released some of that beef oh <laughs> yeah definitely now, hey, now i have much more of a respect 
and much more of a benefit of the doubt for the ways in which black people are racist, homophobic, sexist, and ableist to each other. And I recognize that sometimes we do it out of indoctrination and yeah. out of our own sense of humanity. I.e., if I can prove I can dominate that disabled person or that trans woman or that this, I can prove I'm a real man. And I recognize that sometimes we have the idea. So I don't I don't I don't take it as personal. And I, I don't I don't try to hold it against a person because I know like me right now. When I was younger, I was probably, you feel me? I said dumb shit and did dumb shit, but I've learned now. So I want to give I want to give people grace, the same grace that I got. So I don't hold it against me as I used to. I'm, you know, my my father is not um, with us anymore, but I it does cross my mind occasionally, even now, of like, what if I was one of those people who was like, yeah, my dad is is locked up, right? You know, yeah. and, and you know, m- mom, dad, you know, emotionally, you know, similar, although maybe mom harder to deal with because it's a woman, because it's mama, mm-hmm. um, you know, it may just the hypothetical of like just thinking like, damn, my dad is orange and he's in fucking prison and dealing with that bullshit like that would be very hard that's very hard for me just thinking about hypothetically like and, and you like, think about it like that i think about it like this what if i didn't have no relationship with my dad at all like i i've been thinking about like damn how how much even though my pops has been in and out of jail most of my life how much have me having a relationship with with him has impacted the person i am today i got a lot of homeboys like george lee you lucky you got a daddy nigga you know who your daddy is nigga you can talk to your daddy. And I think about the hypothetical. Like, what if I didn't know who my daddy was? What if I was walking through the streets in the hood and I see a nigga and be like, I wonder if he my daddy. But 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 yes. Talk but to talk me. to me emotionally about I don't want to talk about emotions. <laughs> about about mom going away and what that's gonna do to you emotionally. To be real with you. It's a lot of the package, man. I'm being real. My mom on drugs. You know what I'm saying? And I don't, she, she, she's comfortable with me talking about this publicly, her being on drugs, but her being addiction, her, her being, you know what I'm saying, addiction, having addiction to drugs impacts a lot of her incarceration and how I'm going to see it. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, my mom a drug addict, so she don't really think about me and my kids or my sisters and her kids. She's thinking about, you know what I'm saying, what's going on. Sadly, my mama not gonna think about me and my sisters until she in jail asking for some money and wanting us to come see her. So for me, right now, I'm working through the resentment of like, damn, my mama find it more valuable to be around the people that she's smoking and running the streets with than she is about me, my kids, my sister, my niece, and my nephew. So I'm still working through how I understand myself and how I value myself and recognizing that some of my value gets how I think my mother, the person that birthed me, value me. And sometimes it's hard. My mama ain't called me and told me. Shit, congratulations for getting nominated for NAACP Image Awards. My mom was supposed to go to court in February, you feel me? And shit, I didn't, I forgotten. Well, my mama must be mad at me right now or some shit, you know what I'm saying? So I still, I'm working through it. I'm being real. I'm working through it, you know what I'm saying? That's my ADHD oversharing a little bit. But yeah, I'm working through it. I'm being real. Emotionally, I'm still working through it. And right now, I'm more thinking about how my kids want to talk about their grandma. I'm 32. I didn't pretty much accept it who my mom is and what she about, you know what I'm saying? My five and six year old don't know that. When they go to when they go to school, when they see the other kids talking about their grandparents, shit, you don't got some grandparents like that. You know what I'm saying? So that's what more hurt my feelings and more emotionally made me feel this type of way. But in but in terms of me and my my mama, me son, it's like, man, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still working on it. I'm still, I'm still dealing with it. You know what I'm saying? Time time will tell. The verdict ain't out yet. You know what I mean? So shit. You you you, you referenced lots of formative events in your life that led to this here, this person that you are now, what are some of the other 
formative things that have happened that 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 made you who you are that you were that you were referencing man shit i, I go back to like third grade and third grade i went to crockett elementary a school that was more mixed more white black and mexican it was more mixed and we were treated like kids that's third grade i went to the fourth grade and i went to kemp elementary named after ea kemp this black man in Bryan, texas that school was all black in the fourth grade, from third grade, I view black children have police called on them for shit that kids do. I'm in the fourth grade, and I recognize there was something wrong with this. In third grade, at Crockett Elementary, when a kid is being a kid, they get sent to SOS, they get sent to IS, I mean ISS, or, you know what I'm saying, SAC, in-school suspension. is what you get, in-school suspension. At Kemp, you do something bad, oh, they finna call the police on you. You might get escorted off the campus and handcuffs. Your mama might go to jail. You don't get a citation. I got to see literally the difference in how we got treated. And from a third grade going into fourth grade, that really shaped my impact and how I viewed the world. You know what I'm saying? While I was at this school, it took me two weeks, two weeks, nigga, two weeks for them to recognize I was a little bit different. And I got tested for the gifted and talented program that also changed, you know what I'm saying, my life. You feel me? Me being seen as a magical Negro or being seen as the exception to the rule of the more talented niggas that impacted what it was going on. And I got bullied for it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm bullied. My daddy one of the biggest drug dealers in the, in the town. So it's like, I'm, 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 I'm not like the other drug dealer kids. I'm getting bullied. I ain't get to be this cool. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting bullied. So I, that, that played a part in it. And then shit, I, I can keep on just going through different things. You know what I'm saying? Like basketball, my, my mom and my dad, my dad was in jail a lot. My mom had when she was 16, so she went on no sports like that. The first time I started playing organized sports, I was a lot older than, than everybody else. All my homeboys been playing basketball, so they was able to walk. So I ain't started playing basketball until I was like in fifth, sixth grade. Like that had an impact on how I viewed myself and how I was able to have a sense of confidence regardless of my preparation. You know what I'm saying? And then shit, being a debater, being, you know what I'm saying, walking onto the debate team, the impact, ah, oh, being homecoming king, prom king and class president in my small little college, me in my small little hometown, I think it prepared me perfectly for what I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? To make it right, I don't get too hot, too caught up in the highs, too caught up in the lows, be able to have a balance and be able to deal with everything I'm dealing with. I was able to be homecoming king, prom king, class president, shit, and everything going on in my life. People going in and out of jail, people getting busted, people getting murdered, people getting robbed, and shit, I was able to do this. I'm able to, for like, show some resiliency and what I want, what's in front of me, what I want to do, regardless of what's going on around me, and shit. I just keep on just going, really thinking about it, man. I got the, I got the when Curry Katrina first happened, and I got to see how people from New Orleans was treated. And I live in Bryan, Texas, my nigga. So they come in, New Orleans coming here, they come in here. I'm well, my hometown. Yeah, I never did this like it was nothing. Texans love talking about guns. It's what we love. We love our guns in Texas. Yeah, it's something about when a black person got a gun. I was a freshman in high school. A freshman in high school. This dude from New Orleans, his girlfriend got into it with somebody else and the girl beat up. Somehow, somebody told the police we was walking through Crystal Book and Brian LaHood and Brian with guns. I had on a pair of purple and yellow Air Force Ones that was high top, a pair of purple purple and yellow uh, Laker uh, shorts and a cut off t-shirts we used to wear back in the day. You know, I'm talking about, you might have a shirt on. You got to cut like this. You know what I'm talking about? The police, they had AK-40. They shut the block down. I'm in ninth grade. They shut the block down. I mean, my mama was crying. My sisters was crying. Man, they had me on the ground, gun to my head, 
the whole force out there. You feel me? This is what year this would have been. This would have been ninth grade. It would have been like 06. That changed my life. I wasn't seen as a kid. I didn't. What? My, they, they threatened to shoot my mama if she didn't calm down. They threatened to shoot my sister if she didn't calm down. You feel me? Like that, they shaped me. They really, it really impacted me. And then thinking about the time, shit, my mom and daddy getting busted. You, 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 you know what I'm saying? Shit. What? Uh, a lot of that shit impacted me, man. A lot of that shit impacted me. Now I'm thinking about it now. It's, it's shit that I ain't even think about time. I'm thinking, I ain't, I ain't thought about it since it happened. I'm thinking of right now. But you know, we out here, man. I think that I've been, with everything I've been through, I think I've been blessed to have a lot of access and to have a lot of, experiences that I've had to make it where I can see the shit like I see it. I know a lot of people that I grew up around had these same experiences, but they don't have the 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 the, the experiences to make it where they can see the shit ain't how it's supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? When I say the Harriet Tubman shit, it's folks around me believe that's how life is. How how did you escape, you know, when when the use and sale of drugs was all around you as it is all around many of us, but it's it's really in your life very deeply. But clearly, you escaped and went another path. How how did you not? Two ways, two ways. My my daddy and my uncles, they was well respected gangsters. So if any nigga would have put some drugs in my hand, they would have had the off answer to my daddy and my uncles. And I really was bred from a from a from a young age that I was gonna be the meal ticket. I was gonna be the chosen one in my family, and I was gonna break cycles. Those two things helped me stay out the streets. And I was able to see from a very early age that the streets ain't really got no retirement date. And with streets, is, is whatever happens to you in the streets happens voluntarily or involuntarily. And I ain't want that for my life. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm very smart. I, kinda, I probably could have been the biggest drug dealer Texas ever seen if I wanted to. But I'm like, I don't want to sit in feds. You feel me? I don't want to sit in Texas CDCJ. I don't want to sit in prison. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to have to watch my back. I don't want to, you feel me? So that's really how, like, that's really how I was able to, you know what I'm saying, do it. And I just feel like my my dad, his name is George Lee Sr. And my name is George Lee Jr. I'm a trial and error type nigga. And in my mind, it's like, if George Lee Sr. already made the error, I don't need the trial to make the error he already did. You feel me? That's really how I seen it. Like, if he already, if they already showed me what it is, ain't nothing to it. Nigga can be bald for three, four years and get locked up for 15 I'm good. I'll pass. I'll take my little, you know what I'm saying? That's really what? Wow. Wow. That's, <laughs> That's dope. I feel like I didn't blindside you. Apology. I, I didn't I didn't come in expecting to, to say all this. You asked me some questions and it came yeah. out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's dope. It's dope. It's dope. And I love how, and you hear this story occasionally, how the street protects certain people. The street's and, protected me, man. Yeah. And they're like, yo, not him. Not, not him. him. No, definitely not him. Not that one. So it's really what it is, though. I think that, yeah, definitely, definitely. Even now, like, even now, it's been times I've had to tell family members, homeboys, homegirls, hey, listen, this internet shit a little different. I don't need you to threaten that person to talk bad about me in the comment section. I don't need you to, don't do that, actually. Don't do that. So sometimes, especially Facebook, hey, my Facebook then cracked off where I finally got verified, about to hit 200,000. You know, Facebook where all the people at. Ah, man, people talk to me crazy, trying to handle me. I'm the one that was protected a little bit. So it's like, hey, certain people going to really feel, you know what I'm saying? Like really feel something if you talk to me crazily. So I, I've been, I, I try to be very humble in way people care about me and make sure I'm not putting nobody in harm's way. Because I have people that might crash out. They might do some shit that I wouldn't do, but they don't give a fuck. I give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? So I try to, hey, listen, you know what I mean? 
Do you but, find you know, yourself having to maybe get on the phone and call somebody in your family or your friend group? Be like, don't, 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 no. Hey, listen, me. listen, listen. The sister that I plan on taking to the NAACP Image Awards, I have no, I have no problem with this. But she gangster. She my little sister. As a matter of fact, I'm six one. She's six two. When I was growing up. She'll want to fight a person, a, a man, a dude, before I'm ready to fight. Like, nigga, say something to me. She, my sister disrespected for me. Ah, she want to fight. You know what I'm saying? So her, the same sister I'm bringing, I'd have to call her. Shanna, listen, sis, don't do that. You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> you, you, you talking so crazy. You're going to get me kicked off the internet the way you talking. Goddamn. We don't never meet that person. They don't know me. I don't know them. I ain't bothered about them. You shouldn't be bothered about them either. Please don't. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. But I know, like, my family's still, like, cut like that, still right there. So I try to be always humble no matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, how much money I can spend, recognizing, like, I still got people that's, that's still, you know what I'm saying, that's still in the mud. You feel me? They're Yo, still getting how many, wait, how many people you got on following you on TikTok? 2.2 uh, million. And Instagram? Uh, 285,000. 285, and another 200 on Facebook. Yeah, that 200 on Facebook. Man, I only got 25 on YouTube, 25,000. YouTube, man, YouTube is another world, man. YouTube's hard. Wait, how how has your internet social success changed your life? Changed it in every way I can think of, man. Every way I can think of. Right now, I'm at work right now. I get to dictate my time, my value. I'm a small, I'm from small town, Bryan, Texas. I can go to Atlanta, to LA, and folks would be like, oh my God, consciously. I never dreamed in my wildest dreams like something like that happening. Now I can be on my, you know what? My name is George Lee. My dad's name is George Lee. Usually when George Lee on local news, it's about a drug bust or some shit like that. I was on the news for this NAACP shit. You see what I'm saying? Or just really thinking about this, like it's really changed my life, man. I get to say what I mean, mean what I say, and get paid for it. I got all these degrees, and I work for me. I got three degrees. I work for me. I don't work for no school. Work for no, I work for me. If a school want to holler at me, they know that they get me how I want to do it. If I can't do it, I want to do it. I ain't gonna do it. I, I think it's, it's just like it's just so much, really, man. I'm talking to you. You feel me? I can only watch BET when I went to my grandma's house. So mama didn't have no cable. You know what I'm being real Shika didn't have cable. You see what I'm saying? I had to watch Fox, whatever local news. Smallville, uh, Gilmore Girls, Charmed, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, Friends. Nigga, I, that's what I got. I could tell you from the, when I was young how they played because all I could watch. I could only watch BET when I went to my grandma's house. I seen you on BET. I'm an hour and a half from where I was raised at. Two hours while I was raised at. I'm talking to you right now, nigga. Because of some shit I said on the internet. Thanks so much for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams. Because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show.
Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Chanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.